Let's please to Matthew chapter 14. Uh, just a couple quick words before we get into our study today. Um, first of all, I want to say thank you to the warm uh, reception that my wife Lynn and I have received uh, here. We came up and did the uh, couples retreat this weekend. And thanks for the, thanks for the warm reception that you all have, have given us. Um, this is our fourth time now uh, being able to be with you. First time we came up. Um, Jim invited me to come up and to share with the men at the men's breakfast, and then last year we did the married couples, and they didn't learn the lesson, and so they invited us back this year. And uh, we we love your church. So uh, on the Sundays that the last last year and uh, the year before, when we came up to do the men's uh, breakfast, we had the the privilege of being here on Sunday morning and hear Sam teach. And you guys, you are you are blessed. Sam is he is an amazing teacher of the Word of God. You, you, you're really blessed here. Um, yeah, you, you should. You, you better know it. You, you, you better know. I mean, um, I was so impressed with Sam. We did this conference in, in April, and I asked Sam to come down and be one of the speakers, and um, I kicked it off. I got started, and then he, he spoke right after, and so many people were commenting on, who, who is that? Um, can we have him instead of you? Because, um, and I said, no, you're stuck. You're stuck with me, so... Um, we just celebrated our 40th anniversary in Calvary Chapel of Oxford, so um, we, we, they, they haven't learned it for 40 years. They, they used to keep in this room. So you guys are you guys are really blessed. Um, but this is a it's a sad day, and I just want to take a, a moment of solemn silence and to recognize the great tragedy that happened yesterday. There's millions of households across the country that are mourning today that our beloved boys of blue lost to the demonic San Diego Padres <laughs> last yesterday. So. You, you can leave. You, you, you too. You. Depart. We cast you out in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for the work that you're doing here at Calvary Chapel this year. Thank you for the gift that you have given to, to these, your sheep and their shepherd. We pray that Sam and Bethany's sabbatical will be a time of great enrichment for them. And as they come back, it'll be with fresh vision, a, a sense of renewed purpose to come and to continue to lead this flock. And Lord, would use this church as a blessing to this community. May the work that you're doing in the lives of the men and women here shine as a light to the darkness of this community and that others would come to know you and be delivered from bondage to sin and death and brought into the kingdom of your love and your grace. Lord, I pray that you would use your word today, speak to us by your spirit, to encourage those of us that you're calling maybe to something new and you have been for a while. May, may they be encouraged today to step out. We pray this in your name. Amen. And that's, if you give a title to today's message, that's what it's about. Uh, notice in your Bible there, uh, earlier in chapter 14, probably right around verse 13, you'll notice maybe a heading in your Bible, if your Bible has little headings that they put in there, feeding the 5,000 or feeding the multitude. So that's the story that takes place right before what we're going to take a look at today. Uh, we're going to pick it up at verse 22. This is a favorite 
uh, story that Sunday school teachers will use. Uh, this is the story of Peter walking on the water. But notice the, the flow of the story here. Jesus has just fed thousands, and you'll remember that he used the disciples to do it. And Jesus multiplied a couple of filet of fish sandwiches, uh, but it was through the hands of the disciples that the, the multitudes were fed. So those disciples, the twelve, participated in the miracle. Keep that in mind uh, because it's important to what's coming. So after the, the feeding of the thousands, I mean, imagine seeing this miracle. That wasn't done in a couple of minutes. Their hours are spent as they walk out among the crowds. Jesus has taken this one young boy's lunch, multiplied it, given it out to the twelve, and as they're giving it out, it just keeps multiplying. Imagine it. Every time you reach in to your bag, there's, it's still full. And they're seeing this for hours. They're getting to experience this, this miracle. They have to be feeling pretty good. But instead of letting them bask in the glory of the miracle and the esteem of the people, Jesus hurries them to the lakeside and he sends them off. Look at verse 22. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. So having sent the disciples across the lake, Jesus then by himself disperses the crowd. That would be difficult to do, right? Because these people have just been fed. Now you tell me, what do you think was the quality of the food that they were eating? Bad or good? It's brilliant, right? Jesus or turned the water into wine, and, and what did the master of ceremonies say? You saved the best stuff till last. You know, it was ripple before, but now it's, I don't know. Now it's vintage. You know, it's, it's oh, this is, this is the good. So we can be sure, though, whatever was originally given to him, as he transforms the very elements and makes more out of them, an act of literal creation. We can be sure that it was superior, that this is the best food I've had. And I don't know how long the people were saying. And so now as he's trying to disperse the crowd, they're like, no, because we want dinner too. If you're cooking, if you're the caterer, Robin, that's the caterer you want for your, your, your meal next time. It's Jesus making the meal. And so the, the, it, this is difficult to do. They, they, do, not, they do not want to, to, to leave. These people want to see if maybe more's coming. But Jesus wasn't going to be just the means to fill their stomachs. And so he sends them away. And then he goes up on the hill that's overlooking the lake, and he settles into a time of prayer. Now, an image consultant, a public relations advisor, would have told Jesus, don't send the crowd away. This is a great time to leverage your popularity. He has thousands of enthusiastic supporters now. Don't send them away. No, no, mobilize them for goodness sake. Because if success is determined by numbers, this is a major win for Jesus' campaign. And maybe that's why Jesus sent the disciples away. In his account of this, the Apostle John says that the people were now getting worked up to forcibly make Jesus king. And if Jesus is king, who's going to be closest to his royal court? the disciples. So maybe Jesus sends them away to keep them from getting caught up in that swirling vortex of unholy ambition. 
My friends, be careful of success. Be careful when the crowds are swelling, when your name is on everyone's lips. Watch out for friends that start making plans to follow up on your victory by leveraging it to an even bigger campaign. To test someone's character, give them power. A big win, fame. In a word, give them success. Sadly, the church has seen the danger of success all too well over the last several decades. One leader after another going down in flames. Friends, we have seen too many celebrity pastors blow up. Jesus fed the multitude because he had compassion on them. They were hungry. But that miraculous meal didn't lead to a genuine faith in him. In fact, John says that they were just looking for him the next day to see if he would feed them again. So Jesus spoke hard words that radically thinned the crowds. He didn't equate success with how many there were. What Jesus was looking for was faith. And the next story that Matthew tells illustrates that. So after dispersing the crowd, again, he goes up on the hill overlooking the lake. Well, down on the water, the disciples are making their way across the, the lake to the village of Capernaum when this fierce wind comes in off the Mediterranean and settles in onto to the lake. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but the Sea of Galilee is actually a big lake. It's lower than the Mediterranean. It's below sea level. And so because of the difference in pressure, sometimes when there's a, a high-pressure system over the Mediterranean, which happens regularly, the lower pressure over the Dead Sea will pull air, and there's a narrow little channel that all that wind has to come through. So when it hits the lake, it just stores up a huge storm. It can happen just like that. So there they are. They're now in the middle of it, we read, and they're toiling. Verse 25. Now, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. And by the way, troubled. They were freaked out. Saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. Now, before we get too critical of these guys, I want to ask you to consider what's going on. Again, John, who tells us about this story, says that this was a raging storm and they have been rowing against the wind for hours. They're about four miles out, right in the very middle of the lake. It's the darkest part of the night. As Jews, they already have an uneasy attitude towards the sea. And yes, some of them were commercial fishermen, but that didn't alter the fact that they had all kinds of superstitions about ghosts at sea. So they see this figure walking across the water to them, and they assume that this is the Jewish version of Davy Jones, who's come to, because they're invading his realm. We, we know from history this was kind of the Jewish mindset. They did not like the sea. And so they're, so, oh no, you know, this is what we've heard about coming to pull us into the depths. When Matthew says that they cried out for fear, he uses his strongest words. They're not like, oh no. They are screaming in terror. Verse 27. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. 
Now watch this. We don't know how long it was between Jesus saying this and what we happen, or what we read next. But it had to be a little bit as they they're processing what's happening. They were okay. It's not a, it's not a ghost. It's Jesus. And okay, help me out. And what's he doing? What's Jesus doing right here? He's walking on water in the middle of the lake. If you read some skeptics, they'll say, oh, he's just walking, you know, in a very shallow area, and it'll look to them. No, they're in the middle of the lake. Think about how their minds are being blown. Just a few hours before, they had seen and participated in the miracle of the multiplication of the loaves and fishes. And now they're seeing Jesus walking on water. Because they're realizing this, this man has power over the very elements of creation. How do you cope with all of that? And then we read this, verse 28. <laughs> Love Peter. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, since it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Hold on. What? I, I want to ask you to put yourself in the boat. Put yourself in the boat. Isn't it your thought to call Jesus to come to you in the boat? You know, we are so familiar with the story. We, we know what's going to happen. We easily slip into the mode of Peter and his response. But if we don't know the story ahead of time, wouldn't we expect the disciples to say, Jesus, come to the boat? We ought to be surprised by Peter's request to join Jesus out on the water. And this is where I want to ask the men who were here at the breakfast where I shared a couple years ago the lesson on what it means to be a disciple. The goal of a disciple is to be just like his rabbi. So whatever the rabbi is doing is what the disciple should be doing. And that's why Peter says, Lord, since that's you, as my rabbi, I should be doing what you're doing. So say the word, and I'm getting out of the boat right now. Peter simply is grasping the implications of the miracles that he has seen and is seeing. Jesus is indeed Messiah. He's the Lord. He's sovereign over creation. He has power over the very elements. He can feed thousands with a single lunch. He can walk on water. Peter simply puts those facts together, and he says, Jesus, do you want me to follow through on the faith that is now being birthed in me? And of course, we know what Jesus said. Jesus said to him, no way, Peter, don't be silly. Stay in the boat. I'm coming to you. Peter, why would you want to get out of that place that you're so familiar with and risk the cold, dangerous waves? Is that what he says? Verse 29. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. We are so quick to read on, but before we do, can, can we just linger right there for a little bit? Jesus said one word, come. It's a rich word. 
as is so often the case with Greek, there are nuances and the connotations to words that we miss in English. And that's why it's, it's fun sometimes to read an amplified version where the, the, the richer meaning of the word is brought right into the text. This is an invitation. It's a call to, to come to the one who's doing the inviting. Jesus is saying, come here, come to me. Jesus doesn't mean come walk on water. Jesus is calling Peter to himself. And so Peter climbs over the side of the boat, <laughs> and he starts across the water. How many steps he took, we don't know. In fact, when I get to heaven, Peter, how many steps did you take? I, I, want, I want to know. We don't know how many it was. It was at least a few. And we don't know how he walked. Did he stride confidently, or were his first steps kind of... The point is, and don't miss this, Peter walked on water. And as long as he was doing what Jesus invited him to do, which was to come to Jesus, he stayed dry. <laughs> but then, verse 30, But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And began to sink. Beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Let's leave off psychoanalyzing Peter, trying to figure out why he shifted his focus off of Jesus to the storm. The point is he did. Fear replaced faith, as it always does when when we allow our circumstances to eclipse God. In sharing this story, we often rush through Peter's steps on the water to his sinking into it. And we make the main lesson about taking our eyes off Jesus. I don't know how many times I've heard that lesson taught. And that's certainly an important lesson. But let's pause to ponder Peter's faith before fear took over. We call this, and, and, and some Bibles even give the subheading, Peter walks on water, as this story begins. It's never subheaded. I have yet to find a Bible that subheads it, Peter sinks. <laughs> the wet disciple. And you know another heading you will never see? the story of the 11 disciples who stayed safe in the boat. This isn't a lesson about how to stay safe. <laughs> it's a story of radical faith. You see, when Peter realized that Jesus was walking on water, being a disciple whose main ambition was to emulate his rabbi, he asked Jesus if that's what he was supposed to be doing. And when Jesus affirmed that request, Peter set aside all other considerations and moved to obey. He stood up, he stepped over the side of that boat, and began walking on water. And I want to ask you this morning to use a sanctified imagination, and I want to ask you to see Peter walking away from that boat. See it. See him walking on water. And as you do, listen to these words. 
Hebrews 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. 2 Chronicles chapter 16. The prophet says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro across the face of the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. My brothers and sisters, following Jesus means charting a course from where we are to wherever the Spirit is calling us. Every step of the way is taken in faith. It's taken by faith. As Hebrews 11.6 says, it's faith that pleases God. It's trusting him. It means stepping out of the comfort of where we are into the unknown of where we believe he's calling us to. God is looking for people like Peter, willing to step out of where they are into something new and unknown. And yes, that's risky. Yes, it may mean getting wet. But for sure, there won't be any miracles for those who never get out of the boat, who play it safe and never step out. Can you imagine the disciples years later as they're They've gathered together and they're reminiscing about their times with Jesus, and we can be sure they did that. Remember when Jesus was with us? Remember sitting around the campfire and him giving us the lessons? And, and listen, this, this, never, this conversation never happened. As they were sitting around talking, and Andrew, Peter's brother, said, Peter, remember that time that you, you, you took a bath? Remember the time you went swimming, Pete? And John said, yeah, what were you thinking, Peter, getting out of the boat? That conversation never happened. But the conversation that probably did happen was, Peter, remember the time you stepped out of the boat and you walked on water? So what are we to make of Peter's sinking? A couple things that we can learn. Let's note first that Peter didn't drown. His failure wasn't fatal. Jesus rescued him. And, and look at what Jesus said to him. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? In other words, remove doubt and Peter would have cruised all the way to Jesus. He had enough faith to get started and then he freaked out when he was in it. And this does happen to many of us. The Spirit calls us to step out in faith, to trust the Lord with some new direction. And like Peter, there's kind of an excitement because we know the Spirit is leading us. And so we, we take those first steps and we see amazing success. And then we look around and we go, what have I gotten myself into? Faith flips the switch between walking in our strength and God's. Peter had a little faith, but a little faith is all that's needed when it's in a big God. There's some light switches right back there. You don't need to look. You, you, you've all seen them. You have them in your home. It's a tiny little switch, and it takes almost no pressure whatsoever to flip. But you flip that little switch, and what happens? There is a huge electric station somewhere, and all the power of that station now flows through those wires, wires and lights up a whole room from one little act of flipping a switch. And that's 
like our faith. God has immense power and ability and will, and it's just waiting for us to flip that little switch of our choice to trust him. But just like that, maybe the light comes on and we see something that freaks us out and flip it off again. Peter exercised his little faith. He flipped the switch of faith and stepped out of the boat. After a few steps, he flipped the switch off and sinks. Jesus' comment was less a question as it was a challenge to Peter. And it's a challenge to you and I. Friends, there is no reason for us to doubt the Lord. Peter allowed his circumstances to eclipse Jesus. And we do the same thing, don't we? The sun is this immense ball of energy that gives energy. It, 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 it warms our world. It, it causes the plants to grow. You think about the sun, it's the energy source for our entire planet. It's huge. How big is your thumb compared to the sun? Tiny, right? But did you know if you go outside today, you can hold up your thumb in front of your eye and you can block out the sun. God is infinite in his glory and his power. And yet so often, too often, we allow the pettiness of our circumstances to eclipse his power and his glory. It's all about perspective. The second lesson for us is this. Better to walk and sink than never walk at all. Better to step out in faith and stay where you are. Better to risk and fail than to play it safe and never take the risk. In the parable of the talents, Jesus commended the two guys that invested what had been given to them. And it was risky. Investment's always a risk. But Jesus commends them, but the one guy who played it safe and sat on what he had comes in for Jesus' rebuke. As I move to wrap this up, I want to encourage you to a renewed commitment to live and to walk by faith, to step out and into whatever the Spirit of God is calling you to. In chapter 18 of his gospel, Luke quotes Jesus saying something that seems out of place, out of context to what he's talking about at the time. In verse 8 of Luke 18, Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? That's a challenge to you and I. When the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? As we sail our course through the stormy seas of the end times, God is not done working in the world. And as the world around us becomes increasingly stormy and the waves of the culture that we live in crash against us and want to pull us down, Jesus still comes to us across the waves, calling us to himself to not allow the circumstances of our, of our world and, and the waves to get into our boat, but instead to get out of that boat and to get onto the water and to walk to him. He's still saying to his people, come, come to me. 
So whatever the Lord has been speaking to you about getting out of your comfort zone and to trust him, my brothers and sisters, go to him. It's better to risk failure by doing something to achieve failure by doing nothing. Father, I pray that this simple, quick word would be a word of encouragement to your sons and your daughters. Wherever we are, whatever safety we've managed to secure for ourselves, but that has kept us from stepping out and into all that you have for us, that you would renew that, that invitation to step out, to take the risk, and to discover that we are now walking above our circumstances. Glorify your great name, Lord, in our lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.